Chapter 13 When they checked the next morning, they were overjoyed to see the boat had not been smashed, nor washed out to sea. It lay on its side, the waves rolling back and forth past it, slowly filling with sand. The cooked fish, the water skin, their shoes, and Gunhild's cloak were missing, but the fishing net was still attached, though it was mostly buried in the sand as well, and the oars were still tethered to the oar locks. The storm had passed, and the weather was clear, but both girls were still damp and chilly. Gunhild suggested stretching their overdresses out in the sun to dry, since they were about to get wet again. As they plunged back into the surf to try to free the boat, the icy water made Gunhild gasp. First they tried pushing the boat upright, but it was stuck in the sand, and they realized they would have to dig it out. Gunhild untied the fishing net, and they dragged it out of the water. It seemed heavier than the boat, buried as it was in the sand. By the time it was free, they were both soaking and freezing again, but Gunhild didn't dare stop until the boat was safe. They untied each of the oars and the rudder and carried them up the beach, then began to scoop out sand from the boat as the sea washed back and forth past their knees. Finally, they pushed the boat upright, and then it wasn't too hard to move, its smooth hull sliding easily across the sand. As soon as it was free, however, Gunhild noticed something terrible. The mast had a long crack at the base. When the boat had capsized, the mast had acted like a lever and put the most strain right where the mast joined the hull. Can we fix it? asked Yadith. I don't think so, said Gunhild, but it's not completely broken. She realized that her teeth were chattering, and she was shivering so much that her shoulders were convulsing. We have to get warm again, she said, and they headed back to their leaf pile. Despite the sun, the weather remained chilly, and though their clothes eventually dried, they never felt warm. It was a relief to be dry again, though their feet still felt like ice. Sitting among the beach grass on a dune overlooking the waves, they faced the question of what to do next. "'We need fresh water,' said Gunhild. Ivar once told me a person could survive three days without water, but he wouldn't be good for much after a day or two. We should keep going south and look for a stream.' "'If it rains again, we could collect it in the boat,' said Yadith. Gunhild grimaced at the thought of drinking off the bottom of the boat, but Yadith shrugged. You said we had three days to live, she said. I'd do it. Fine, said Gunhild. Option two. If we see any people, we greet them and ask for help. Yadith looked skeptical, and Gunhild could tell she would rather drink from a puddle than meet a stranger. She offered a compromise. If we go more than a day without finding water, she said, will you agree to ask for help if we see someone? Fine, said Yadith. Option three. We stay here and walk inland. Yadith considered this. There's no more chance of finding water than if we're sailing, but we'll lose time for heading west, she said. And we'll cover less ground, added Gunhild, so option three is out. Are you ready to set off? There's no sense in waiting, said Yadith. They readied the boat and pushed it toward the waves. Once they had rowed past the breakers, Gunhild ran up the sail, and they both watched closely as the wind filled the sail and the mast began to take the strain. It creaked a bit, but it held. Gunhild found herself checking the crack at the base of the mast constantly, but it didn't seem to be getting any bigger. I'm really hungry, said Yadith. Let's put out the net. We can't eat till we land and make a fire anyway, said Gunhild. True, but we might as well get the fish now, said Yadith. What if we find a place to stop but haven't caught any fish yet? What if we can't catch any fish at the same place we find fresh water? So fish, said Gunhild, I'm not stopping you. 
I am really hungry, said Yadith. You can probably tell. Even cooking the fish is feeling slightly unnecessary. You wouldn't eat a raw fish, said Gunhild. Maybe you didn't notice how hungry I am, said Yadith, and she cast the net into the sea. The net trailed behind them as Gunhild followed a zigzag pattern westward. Yadith watched it and tugged at it occasionally, judging whether to haul it in, but suddenly she saw something that made her shout. Sail! she cried, pointing. Gunhild looked to the water and saw the ripples of something swimming. A nose stuck above the water, followed by a head. A seal was swimming alongside them, and from the look of it, investigating what was going on. You stay away from my fish, called Yadith. She turned to Gunhild. Will he try to get into the net? she asked. I don't know, said Gunhild. I haven't met a seal before. Maybe you should close the net, though. Yadith drew the mouth of the net closed, but didn't haul it in. The seal ducked under the water a few times, but kept reappearing. Shouldn't he be with other seals? asked Yadith. Don't they travel together? You act like I know about seals, said Gunhild. I know nothing about seals. Well, he had better not try to take my fish, said Yadith. She began to haul in the net. The seal dived under the water, and Gunhild turned her attention to the sail and rudder. But when she looked to the other side of the boat, a face was staring back at her. The seal watched her as it swam, keeping up easily. I have nothing for you, said Gunhild. Go catch your own fish. The seal dived again, and Gunhild assumed it had swum away. Yadith had reopened the net and was scanning the horizon, so neither was ready when, with a tremendous crash, the seal leapt from the water and landed in the boat. It was not graceful. It was not elegant. The seal threw itself over the edge of the boat and rolled in with a splat. The landing shook the boat, and both girls, taken by surprise, shrieked. Gunhild grabbed an oar, planning on prodding the seal back out again, but it turned to look at her with big, shining eyes, and instead of swatting at it, she stared back. "'Why are you on my boat?' she demanded. The seal didn't answer, but didn't leave either. It looked from Gunhild to Yadith and back again, then wriggled along the bottom of the boat as if getting comfortable. It reminded Gunhild of nothing so much as an overstuffed sausage. "'I know a song about a seal,' said Gunhild. "'Hey, seal!' Seal, seal, swim to me and bring me pearls from the sea. I shall put them on a string and give them to my baby, oh. Do seals bring people pearls? asked Yadith. It's just a song I remember, said Gunhild. Oh, wait, look! She pointed out to sea past Yadith's shoulder, and Yadith turned to see three black fins cutting through the water. Wallace, said Yadith. Brimwulvus! The fins circled the boat, and as they passed, the girls looked through the water at three orcas, each as big as the boat itself. They're huge, said Gunhild. The orcas came to the surface, and one exhaled a big puff of sea spray. The pod made another circle and dipped back below the water. What do they want? said Yadith. I think they want our seal, said Yadith. Wait, he's our seal now? He's on our boat, said Yadith. The Brimwolves want to eat him. I can see it in their eyes. Gunhild turned to the seal. And your plan is to hide with us until they go away? She asked it. The seal looked back at her with a thankful smile. What if they attack our boat? She asked Yadith. Yadith looked horrified. Are you saying we should send him back? Throw him back in the water? I don't think we could if we tried, said Gunhild. That seal outweighs both of us. I'm just saying they could smash our boat to splinters if they wanted to. In that case, don't tell them about Godrich, said Yadith. That's his name. 
The boat lurched as the rope to the fishing net yanked hard at the bow. Both girls grabbed something to steady themselves and looked at each other, worried. They're after the fish now, said Gunhild, and Yadith nodded. The boat lurched again and began to turn as the orcas pulled the fishing net. Gunhild steered the tiller to turn the boat back on course, but the wind was coming at the sail wrong now, and it began to flap wildly. Lower the sail, Gunhild called, and Yadith did so quickly. More jolts came as the fishing net tugged the boat back and forth, but then the motion stopped. The girls waited, holding their breath, but the boat stayed still. In the distance, Gunhild caught sight of a dorsal fin headed away. It seemed that the orcas had given up. Let's pull in the net, said Yadith, and see if they did any damage. She began to haul on the rope. I'd help, said Gunhild, but your seal is blocking the way. She looked at the seal, who looked back questioningly. Are you going to bite me if I squeeze past? I don't think so, said Yadith, who had most of the net in already. Godrich is very polite. Maybe he's not a seal at all. Maybe he's a lost prince cursed by a witch. No, wait, he lost his true love in a storm at sea, and he turned himself into a seal to look for her under the waves. Is he a prince or a sorcerer? asked Gunhild. Both, said Yadith. Godrich, if you understand me, nod your head. Yadith nodded her own head as she said this, and the seal following her eyes copied her. See, she said. Yadith hauled the net back onto the boat. Half a dozen fish were flopping inside, but it was clear that the orcas had tried to get at them. The net had a few tears in it, but it didn't seem beyond repair. Yadith struggled to feel around the netting as she grabbed a fish, pulled it out, and held it out to the seal, who ate it happily. I thought you didn't want to share your fish, said Gunhild. That was before we were friends, said Yadith. She handed Godrich another fish, and another, until her net was empty. As if he knew the fish were gone, the seal turned and began to wobble up the side of the boat. He can't get out, said Gunhild. He can't push himself high enough. I think he only managed to get in because he could get up some speed swimming. Let's help him out, said Yadith. She stood up and approached the seal, who wet his nose over the side of the boat, his long whiskers twitching. Are you sure he won't bite? said Gunhild. How am I sure of anything? said Yadith. But if he is a prince, and he rewards the ones who help him with a bag full of gold and silver, don't expect me to split it with you if you don't help lift. They both squatted down by the seal, which was still trying to wobble up the curved side of the boat, and slid their hands under. On the count of three, they lifted, and Gunhild was amazed to find how heavy it was. They couldn't have picked it all the way up, but all it needed was a boost, and with a twist and a flop, the seal went over the side. It circled once, and then swam away. So, said Yadith, more fishing? Actually, I think it might be time to put in. Turn around and look at the beach up ahead. Does that look like a river to you? Fresh water, shouted Yadith. You know, I think we're being rewarded for helping Godrich. Maybe, said Gunhild. Those who honor guests are honored by the gods, or so people say. They rode into a marshy area where fresh water met the sea. It was wide and flat and shallow, so the waves lost all their momentum by the time they crawled to the dry ground. Further up the marsh the water must have been fresh, for grasses grew in the water and birds waded among them, pausing occasionally to jab at fish. A small river fed the marsh, and Gunhild, having lowered the sail, rowed easily upstream, looking for a place to stop. She could see the trees begin to thicken ahead of them, and not wanting to continue into deep forest, she steered toward the bank. They got out and stretched, and then both drank from the river. Then Gunhild lay on the ground, staring up at the sky. 
Yadith said she needed to go visit the trees and wandered off. Gunhild closed her eyes, trying to plan their next steps. She was starving. It had been this time yesterday that she had last eaten. They would need fish soon, but that wasn't the problem. Without a way to transport drinking water, they were stuck here. Nevertheless, they were lucky. She had her knife and her flint for starting fires. Her thumb had healed, and it hadn't gotten infected. The mast seemed to be holding, despite the crack. She began to imagine what she would ask for if she could ask for anything. A hatchet? Blankets? A cooking pot? All seemed like wonderful luxuries. She hadn't bathed in a week, and just the thought of heating some water to wash with seemed splendid, but for now impossible. Her mind began to drift, and soon she was asleep. She awoke to the sounds of a campfire. It was dusk, and crickets were chirping, unseen all around. Yadith sat by the fire she had made, looking at Gunhild and grinning. I was wondering when you would wake up, she said. Look what I got. Three fish lay on a bed of coals off to the side of the crackling fire. They're for you, she said. I ate mine already. Did you take the boat out? asked Gunhild. Only to the marsh, said Yadith. You were really fast asleep. You didn't even notice me take the knife and the flint from your pouch. Gunhild sat up and shook the sleep from her head. She looked back at Yadith, who was still grinning. What is it? she asked. I found clay, said Yadith, clearly excited. It's up the river a bit. There's plenty of it. Okay, said Gunhild. Why do we need clay? Yadith's expression changed to one of utmost seriousness. Water jugs. That's how we get across the open sea. Understanding washed over Gunhild. This was the solution. They would make water jugs and fire them, dozens of them if they needed. They could fill the boat with fresh water. And while we're firing the jugs, we can store up fish, suggested Gunhild. We'll smoke them like you suggested, said Yadith. We'll get loads. We could sail for weeks. They began making plans, throwing ideas back and forth. Gunhild wanted to build a smokehouse like her uncle Ivar had, but as she had neither an axe nor a drill, she decided she would just build a frame out of wood. Yadith needed a kiln, but it would be hard to dig without a shovel. Gunhild suggested piling up rocks, and they decided that if they packed the rocks with earth, it should make a decent oven. As they sat by the small fire, making plans, it felt as if anything was possible. Soon they would cross the waves to England, two brave adventurers. Moments later, thunder rumbled in the distance, and they decided instead to build a shelter near the trees before the rain reached them. It rained that night, but Yadith and Gunhild stayed dry under a lean-to made of branches, asleep on a bed of duff and leaves. They awoke in the morning to a world waiting for them to make it their own. They stayed by the river for seven days. It was hard to decide what to do first. Gunhild worked to repair the fishing net from when the orcas had damaged it. She tied the strands together as best she could. With this, at least, they could get food each day. The kiln ended up as a large cylinder shape covered with a layer of woven sticks. Yadith and Gunhild had to pry up the stones from the riverbed, and each one took great effort. After an hour, the kiln was only knee-high, and they realized how big an undertaking this would be. Hours later, they had enough stones, but then had to pack it with dirt. After a full day of work, they hadn't even made one pot yet, but at least the kiln was ready. The next day, the girls set about hauling clay back from the riverbank and shaping it into water jugs. The biggest difficulty was in shaping a jug with a mouth smaller than its body. Yadith was fairly successful, 
but said that it would be much easier with a pottery wheel like her father had. Gunhild's pots were noticeably inferior, but Yadith didn't seem to mind. Eventually they had ten of them, which, given the size of the kiln, would have to be fired in two batches. Pottery isn't watertight unless you seal it, and we can't do that here, said Yadith. But this will still work. They'll leak a bit, but they won't dissolve. We only need to make it to the next place with fresh water. The trick is to get them dry enough before we fire them. We'll keep them by the campfire, but it still could be days before they're ready. As they hauled stones and made water jugs, they talked. Yadith told Gunhild more about life at Heratu, and how once, when she was five, her neighbor's geese had chased her up onto the roof of her house. Gunhild told Yadith about her grandfather, Hrothulf, who had built the farm that she had lived on, whose own father, Arnkettle, came from the north of Denmark. Arnkettle was the second son, and he had a falling out with his father about his inheritance. His father had sent him away in anger, but as Arnkettle walked away, his father stopped him and gave him ten pieces of silver and the family statue of Thor. "'You must go your own way, I know that,' said his father, "'but may Thor bless your farm and your family.' "'My grandfather never saw his own father again,' said Gunhild. "'But we still have the statue. "'I guess Rolf will have it some day, and his own son.' "'They paused, working the clay in their hands. "'Brother Yadmar said that pagans have different gods for different things,' said Yadith, "'like a god for war, and a god for love, and a god for the sea. "'Is that true?' "'Gunhild thought about this. "'Not really,' she said. "'They're all different, and they do different things, but—' Not like that. She paused and thought. So, do you believe Thor doesn't exist, or do you think he's just not as powerful as your Christ? said Gunhild. There is only one God, said Yadith. He is all-powerful. But you don't have to be born Christian, you know. If you believe in God, he'll help you, even if you didn't believe before. Where does he live? asked Gunhild. Heaven, said Yadith. Is that like Osgarth? I don't know anything about Osgartha. Hmm, said Gunhild. So what does he do all day? What do you mean? Well, said Gunhild, who does he have for company if he's the only god? Does he eat and drink? Does he fight or go on adventures? Yadith seemed honestly perplexed. I guess... Well, Jesus Christ is in heaven, and so are the saints, I think. So he can talk to them. In truth, she was unsure. This was a question that had never occurred to her. Thor and Loki go exploring the Nine Worlds, said Gunhild. They fight giants sometimes. Does Jesus Christ fight giants? Yadith closed her eyes and thought. She tried to remember everything that Brother Yadmar had ever told her about Jesus, but didn't think that he had mentioned anything about giants. Eventually, she said, Once, two men named Paul and Silas were in prison. God sent an earthquake to free them. So, he does that sometimes. Gunhild nodded, satisfied for the moment. Simply collecting enough wood for the kiln and then smoking the fish was an enormous undertaking. They had no axe, so the only wood available to burn was from dead branches found on the ground or pulled from the trees. To find enough, they had to walk further from camp each day, returning each time with another armload to add to the pile. The wood was often damp, too, so they stacked it in a ring around the trunk of a pine tree to dry it, hoping that, if it should rain, the tree would protect it. 
It was on one of these trips, as she ventured further into the forest than she had before, that Gunhild found a clearing and a pile of stones. The stones were stacked into a cairn, and Gunhild could tell immediately that it was built by a person, or people. At first she scanned the trees for someone watching her, but it was soon clear that no one was here. The stones might have been placed here yesterday or years ago. It was impossible to tell. She looked around the clearing. She couldn't say why, but the place felt powerful. The pile of stones wasn't shaped into anything in particular except a tidy stack. It was meant to be here, though, no matter who had built it. She approached it and reached out hesitantly. She paused before touching it, as if it would be disallowed, but Gunhild couldn't help but feel that this cairn was meant to be touched, maybe in prayer. It might have been a grave, but it felt more like an altar. Was this place made for the gods? If so, were they the same gods she knew? She touched the top of the cairn and closed her eyes and listened to the woods around her. She thought of the long journey ahead of her and the strange land that lay beyond the North Sea. She took a moment to say goodbye to her home, which she hadn't yet done. She imagined her house, the cows, the barley fields, the hearth where the fire burned. When she had fled, weeks ago now, she hadn't known she would be gone for so long. Now she knew, and so, before going further, it felt good to part properly, at least in her imagination. Gunhild took a step backward and looked around the clearing, then turned to walk back to camp. Something caught her eye, a stick by her feet. It was half covered by the long grass, but she could see that something was carved on it. Picking it up and cleaning it with her thumb, she saw they were runes. The stick was only as wide as her hand, but it had been split down the middle to make a flat writing surface. The runes were scratched across the grain, along the length of the stick. There were only two words. Freya Vigi, whispered Gunhild. May Freya bless. That was all it said, but Gunhild felt a rush of emotion well up in her chest. She had prayed to Freya when her brother was born. She had prayed to Freya at the solstice. Odin might have his wisdom and Thor might have his hammer, but if there was one god Gunhild trusted to keep her safe, it was the Lady Freya. Someone had carved this blessing on a stick and left it in this holy spot. Maybe someone like her. Maybe a young woman asking Freya for help. She put the rune stick reverently in the bag that hung from her belt. The stick might as well have been a message, and it said that she would be safe. Gunhild didn't tell Yadath about the rune stick when she returned to camp. Yadath's own faith seemed so unshakable that it seemed awkward to mention anything. Maybe Yadath wouldn't even want the stick on the boat with her. It would almost feel worse, though, if Yadath had simply dismissed the rune stick as if it were some superstition. Instead, Gunhild continued hauling and stacking wood, and Yadath did the same. Eventually, night fell, and it was too dark to keep working. They sat at the campfire and ate dinner. They had gotten good at cooking fish on the coals, and now it never turned out raw or burned, but beautifully white and flaky. Eating it was still a messy process without plates, though. In the morning, we'll fire the water jugs, and then go catch some fish to smoke, said Gunhild. 
A lot of fish, said Yarath. We'll need more than a week's worth to be safe. The thought of more fish didn't excite Gunhild much. She hadn't had anything but fish to eat since the bilberries a week ago. She missed bread and peas and porridge. She really missed cheese. When do we cross to England? asked Yarath. Gunhild shrugged. When the beach stops going westward, I guess. We should save the smoked fish for when we get out on the open water. Well, what if we smoke twice as much and then just eat it as we go, suggested Yarath. We wouldn't have to spend as much time cooking over fires, then. We could sail from sunrise to sunset. <sighs> and I thought I was tired of fish now, said Gunhild. Does that mean you don't want yours, said Yadith, eyeing the perch that Gunhild was holding. Gunhild humphed and kept eating. Their plans were ruined by rain the next morning, and they stayed under their shelter. Yadith insisted that she didn't mind getting wet while they fished, but Gunhild was more worried about the weather worsening quickly. She was still shaken from capsizing earlier, and she didn't trust the mast either. The crack was clearly visible, and she didn't know how much strain it could take. They decided to wait out the storm and spent the morning chatting and dozing. The rain finally stopped by midday, and Yadith said it was time to fire the pottery. Fortunately, the wood under the tree had kept dry, and soon a roaring fire was going. The stones concentrated the heat, and when Gunhild looked inside through one of the air vents, she could see the orange-white fire glowing as hot as a blacksmith's forge. "'Give that a day or two, said Yarath. "'We'll put in more wood when we get back. "'Now let's fish.' And they did. They stayed out all afternoon, and Gunhild cleaned fish as fast as Yarath could haul them in. The freshwater marsh had many more fish than in the sea, and the shallower water made it easier to net them. Soon the bottom of the boat was full of bream, perch, and chub. When they arrived back at the camp, they started a fire and let it burn down for a bit. They skewered the cleaned fish on long branches and lined them up a few feet off the ground across the fire. Gunhild added some green branches and bark to the fire to get the smoke going. Then they propped big strips of bark and leafy branches over the sides of the skewers to keep the smoke in. Finally, they took a step back to admire their work. Smoke curled up past the dangling fish, at least a dozen of them. If we want more, we could go out again tomorrow, said Gunhild. In fact, we could stay forever. For a while, maybe, said Yarath. It's beautiful here, of course. They watched the smoke rise, and then Yarath excused herself and walked back toward the woods. Gunhild sat and thought. Of course Yarath didn't want to stay here. She was going home. And every mile closer to England was a mile further from Denmark. Gunhild wondered if she wanted to return to her family, though, or whether she even could. Had she lost that opportunity forever? She was brooding on this when she heard footsteps approach from behind. Assuming it was Yadith, she turned, then screamed as she saw a brown bear shambling toward her. Gunhild scooted backward, unable even to stand. At her scream, the bear stood on its hind legs. It was at least six feet tall, maybe more. It looked at her, then came back down to all fours and walked closer. Gunhild found herself on her back. She hadn't been able to get her feet under her, and now the bear loomed above her. The bear huffed, and Gunhild could see its steamy breath as it exhaled. The bear took one step closer, and suddenly Gunhild heard a furious yell, getting louder as it got closer, and a tree branch came down across the bear's shoulders. She turned to see Yadith, who was wielding the branch in both hands. Yadith roared at the bear, not even yelling words, as she lifted the branch again. The bear stood again, towering over Yadith, but she brought the branch down on its head, and this time it turned and galloped back to the forest. Go! 
Get out of here! Yada shouted, then stood panting, watching it go. Gunhild looked up at her in amazement. You just fought a bear, she exclaimed. You fought a bear with a stick! She began to laugh and stood up. Yadith at first seemed surprised to see Gunhild laughing, but then smiled nervously, as if unsure what to do next. You're a real drinker, that's for sure, said Gunhild. Oh, wow! A bear! I can't believe it! You... you... Yadith sat down, and Gunhild noticed she was shaking. Are you okay? she asked. I'm okay, said Yadith. Just a bit... surprised. The bear was surprised, whooped Gunhild. You fought like a real Dane, like one of the king's warriors. I can't believe it. She was running out of breath. Yadith took some deep breaths and put both hands on top of her knee, which was bobbing up and down uncontrollably. Gunhild sat near her and added her hands on top of Yadith's. Really, are you okay? she asked. I'll be fine, said Yadith. It was getting dark, so after adding some more green branches to the fire, they went to their shelter and lay down. Gunhild was still a bit giddy. You know, she said, you need a real Danish name to commemorate that. You should be called Bjarnhild, Bear Battle. Bjarnhild, said Yadith. It's not really me. It's some part of you, said Gunhild. You're like the heroes who the poets sing about. Your great deeds will be passed down for generations. Warriors will trace their lineage to Bjarnhild the Brave, who drove off a bear with a stick. In fact, I'm going to compose a poem right now. She closed her eyes and thought. Bringing her... Bearing... Brandishing... No, braving the bear, Bjarnhild bellowed. How's that for a first line? Very nice, said Yadith. Daring Dringer, Gunhild continued. What starts with a D? Uh, dashing, suggested Yadith. Driving? Daring Dringer, driving forward, said Gunhild. As she recited, she tapped the rhythm on her leg. Swinging her stick. What's a better way to say stick, she asked. Maybe tree sword, suggested Yadith. Swinging tree sword, singing fury. Now what can we call a bear? Cave sleeper said Yadith. Shaggy pants, added Gunhild. Thief of bees. That's good, said Gunhild. Banishing the bee thief? Bashing, offered Yadith. Or beating. I love it, laughed Gunhild. Beating the bee thief, Bjarnhild conquered. They paused and considered the verse they had composed. You know, said Gunhild, you probably saved my life. Not your life, said Yadith. Just our dinner. The bear wanted our fish. They lay silent for a while, listening to the crickets chirping and the breeze rustling the leaves. Gunhild was lost in thought when Yadith said, Wait, have you ever thought about how your name means war battle? It was true. She had never thought about her own name much. It was a common name. But Yadith was right. It was made up of the words for war and battle. Yadith continued, That's a little like... That's a lot of fighting for one name. I guess, said Gunhild. It's like you're named Fight Fight, said Yadith. Hey, don't make fun of my name, said Gunhild. Or Fighty Fight, continued Yadith. It's like, Good morning, Fighty Fight. Any good fights last night? 
Shut up, said Gunhild, though she was laughing. So you need a new name too, said Yadith. I'll give you an English name. You will be... Bjartjifu. The words sounded familiar. Gunhild puzzled over them. Bright gift, she said. Yes. I am a bright gift? To me you are, said Yadith. They left two days later, after firing the rest of the water jugs and smoking another batch of fish. Gunhild felt almost sad to go, but she knew they shouldn't stay longer. She reached down to feel the rune stick through the leather of her pouch. Freya Vicky, she whispered. May Freya bless. They rode through the marsh into the sea, and when the ripples of waves started rolling in, Gunhild felt her stomach lurch. The sea was still there, unpredictable, full of peril. It was nearing the end of September, and the weather would get steadily worse from here. It was clear but cold, and they had nothing on their side except luck, which could only go so far. They rowed into the deep water and ran up the sail, and Gunhild heard the mast strain. She angled the sail to catch the wind, and the boat began to fly across the water. Yadat's face was radiant. She beamed at the surrounding water as if greeting an old friend. I have a poem, she said. I made it up last night. Do you want to hear it? Go ahead, said Gunhild. Instead of facing Gunhild, Yadith turned toward the bow and grabbed the sides of the boat to steady herself, and shouted her poem to the sea. Twa sailed ye swaith Lesa bekumoth, bald dotra, from a freon das fleogath theodom, over mere meta theo wonder. I couldn't get most of it, said Gunhild apologetically. Sailed, Yeswoster. Is that Salt Sister? Salt Sisters, said Yadith. Two of them. <laughs>